There is so much happening in this gospel. I have to tell you, when I was in the seminary studying it, this is when I turned off my machine, click, and I sat there with a big smile in front of my professor and pretended I was listening. It was way too much for me. I did, however, catch some things. They say if you throw enough mud at the wall, something will stick. So something stuck. I remember that there were three sets of 14 generations. I also remembered that they were not absolutely correct. Names were left out on purpose. I remembered that there were the names of four women, three of them Gentiles, I believe, but the extraordinary thing was that women were never put into a genealogy. I'm sorry, ladies, you didn't count. You did all the work, but it was always by the line of the man. I remembered that um, when it came finally to the birth of Jesus, it was mentioned that it was through Mary, and yet the line always was through the Father. And I also remember that, that the Father's line was, um, of Joseph is the line that we follow, but then he's not even mentioned as the father of Jesus. Um, it's Mary, the mother of Jesus. So the, the genealogy uh, is rather extraordinary, not for exactly what it says, but, but for what it doesn't say for things that are left out, the things that shouldn't have been in there. It's kind of like the, the negative of, of the picture. Also, the striking thing, but to us, but not to the Jews, is this is how the Gospel of Matthew begins. This is, in fact, one of the reasons why uh, people note, uh, the historians have always noted, that this is a Jewish Gospel, because it's a typical beginning of any story, give the genealogy. When I grew up, you know, I grew up here, born in Los Angeles and grew up here, but my parents are from Kansas. You've heard me say it many times. Both my parents had 13 brothers and sisters, and their parents, you know, I don't know how many, but all I know is that when I go back to Kansas, I like to go back, well, not only to Nest City and Ellis, where my family grew up, but to the birthplace of my father in Munger, Kansas. Munger is a little tiny town. It's about four blocks in every direction. Um, all the names of the streets are Russian because my family came from Germany to Russia, learned Russian, then came there. So there's a St. Petersburg Street and Kiev. And when I go to the cemetery, it's just breathtaking because I see Liker, 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 Liker. Oh my God, do I feel mortal when I go there. There's my name everywhere because it was a town of Likers, basically. But when I go there, um, I remember that my father would always try and line up for me who belonged to whom, which I could never keep straight because both my dad and mom had 13 brothers and sisters. So when they say, well, no, that was, his uncle was so-and-so, and then, and, and then even in my family, my dad's name is Edmund, and my, my godfather's name, his brother, my uncle, was, was uh, Edward. So Edward and Edmund, they call my dad Eddie and my uncle and my... Uh, my Nino, my godfather, Blackie. So just keeping all this straight was extraordinary. But my father and mother knew all the family line unbelievably, all the connections and who was cousin and, and who was second cousin and all of this. This is the stuff of family. I know in the Latino families that this is very, um, very vital, and I think it probably is in the Filipino community too, keeping those lines and knowing them all. But I suspect it is in all the cultures because this somehow gives us the, the depth of our identity. 
Having said all of that, you know, by the way, I, I decided I'll go on the web with this one too because on the web, when it tells you anything, for example, it lists all these three sets of 14 generations. Every time it names a, a name like um, Shetiel or Abud or Zadok, it puts it in blue. So if you click on it, it opens up the whole story of that person. So here I am, 62 years old, uh, 36 years after being ordained. I'm finally ready to get into this genealogy. I guess because it's all right there, so easily approachable in the internet, I said, ah, this could be fun, and I'm going to learn something about this genealogy. Having said all of that, Matthew does something extraordinary, especially in the listing of these women. He's doing something that wasn't done. And in it, we begin to see something of the person of Jesus in this structure, these 14 generations. 14 is seven double. I mean, the number seven in numerology in the Bible is the number of completion and perfection. To do it two times, it's like, uh, it's like I tell the sacristans all the time, of course, they're volunteers, so when they do something good, I say, good, I'm going to double your pay. I'll double your zeros. <laughs> but to have the number perfection, seven doubled, 14, and then all of that tripled three times, three strikes, you're out. It, the numerology here is just, wow, it's powerful stuff. And all of this genealogy, all of it comes to the final focus of Jesus Christ who is born. Everything about this says the significance of this person, born of a virgin. There is so much emphasis and underlined and bold and italics and quotes, double quotes, and then single quotes around the double quotes, all of it to focus on what has just taken place. And in fact, for these women to be included and Gentiles, Gentiles in a Jewish book, Gentile women to be lifted up in the genealogy shouts to the Jewish readers, Oh my God, this is something extraordinary. Now for us, I think, it's just a reading of a million names. In fact, most people say, Oh my God, we got to listen to all those names again. This is the day I forgot. I should have skipped today and gone to Mass two times tomorrow because this is just too much. And I would suggest that we just not be so concerned about these names, but get the sense of this lineage of Jesus. Get the sense of all these prophetic names and important figures and heads of clans over generations and generations that what we're hearing is a history of the people of God and the passing on of faith and the looking forward at some future time to this messianic time when the Savior would come. And even though there's two or three distinct different messianic visions, what the Messiah would do or bring to Israel, the point is that over time, passed on from father to son and mother to daughter, on and on over generations and generations is the waiting for, the longing 
for this one who would come to Israel and change everything. That we hear for weeks in Advent in the responsorial psalms in the first reading, talking about the hope of Israel, the hope of Israel. The way that this genealogy sums up after hearing three sets, three sets of 14 generations, thus the total number of generations from Abraham, Abraham, the father of faith, to David, the great king, is 14 generations. From David, the great king, to the Babylonian exile, such a difficult time, 14 generations, and from the Babylonian exile to the Christ, to the Christ, to the anointed one, 14 generations. And this is the gospel. This is the gospel. We trace through all of this lineage, we trace through all these generations, we trace through all these people the coming of our Lord. And in some way, this always done on the 17th of December or on this first day of the, of the O Antiphons, on the first day of this novena of days before the birth of Christ, to begin to focus us sharply on the person of Jesus. And as we look at him, of course we've been looking at him as the Jesus Christ who would come again at the end of time, but now we begin to focus on the birth. The genealogy is setting us up for the celebration of the birthday, of the remembering of that child in the manger, of the remembering of the birth of Christ through Mary, the remembering of the incarnation, the gift of God coming into our human flesh. And now we are asked to begin to focus very carefully and very clearly on the meaning, the meaning of the Christ. And as we do so, the importance of really beginning to prepare ourselves for a, a real celebration understanding of this is important. What a gift, I think, that at least on this year, on the 17th, on the beginning of the Old Antiphons, on the day with this genealogy is read, on the beginning of this sharper focusing, we also have the gift of the service of penance and reconciliation tonight. And as we see it as a chance to, to begin to really prepare our spirit, how? By acknowledging our sinfulness, as John the Baptist has been calling us to do, you know, leveling the mountains, filling up the valleys, of being aware where we need to, to have a real sincere repentance, a, a sorrow for our sinfulness, and, and a willingness to want to do penance and grow and change. This becomes a, a great time for some invitation to family members, to friends, to neighbors. You know, I hear there's, there's a confessions and, and a pen service at St. Bernard's Night. Do you want to go? I'd like to invite you. It'd be surprising how much an invitation helps because sometimes people forget, they just don't know, or they get nudged by it, or in the language of the internet, they get poked on Facebook. You poke them. Say, there's a penance service. You want to go tonight. So maybe we could all do a little poking today poke our neighbors and family and friends and, and invite them. And not just to the penance service, but to this final time of preparation. You know, is Catholics are, are not like some of the other Christians who, who easily gather in groups to pray. It'd be so nice if you could steal away even three minutes, five minutes with, with a friend, with a family member, with a neighbor over these final days 
just to say a prayer in preparation, to ask a blessing upon each other. This is a very, very sacred time. And this genealogy sets us up, this long, long listing, remembering the generations and generations and generations of faith so that we can focus on our own and open up our spirit to the coming of our Lord.